Welcome to CPP Chat, a solid look at what's going on in the world of C++, chatting with guests from the community. But before we objectively examine our guests' principles, John has some designs of his own. Thank you very much, Phil. Much of the information on CPP Chat, articles, recipes, medical information, advice, etc., is transcribed directly from antique sources most over 100 years old and should be considered for entertainment purposes only. Methods described and ingredients listed in articles and recipes may now be proven dangerous or even illegal. We do not want any war we do not make any warranties about the completeness, reliability, and accuracy of this information. Any action you take upon the information on this website is strictly at your own risk, and we will not be liable for any losses and damages in connection with the use of your of our website. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. Uh this is great. We've got a couple of great guests. Um uh Tony Van Aert is on and Klaus Eigelberger. Uh, Tony, have you been on the show before? Once, once before, I think. Okay, and you I'm pretty remember, sure Klaus you remember has been it on. So well, <laughs> well, <laughs> there's been so many. <laughs> it was just a couple of episodes back, right? Four, five. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's right. Well, a couple of episodes back is about you know six months ago. So that's <laughs> all right. Uh, so I'm sure we have a solid purpose for you guys here. What is that? Well, I guess the solid I, I, principles, right? They're not, they're not 100 years old, though, like, like your recipes. It's, I mean, it's old. That's right. It's not that old. A significant proportion of that, though. You've pointed out it's exactly 20 years old. And when I say you, I, uh, those of you who don't know yet, uh, Tony's going to be giving a keynote at C++ Now on Solid. But both Phil and Klaus have also given Solid talks. <laughs> Is this news to you, Tony? <laughs> Somebody should have mentioned this to Tony before. <laughs> I, should, I should really work on those slides. <laughs> yes, and and everyone is expecting it to be an iambic pentameter. So that's yeah. uh, <laughs> you're, you're the odd man out there, John. Uh, where's your solid talk? Well, you know, I didn't give a talk on 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 solid, but I did give a talk on object oriented programming. And you know, I, I, the reason I did it is because I feel like, you know, I think I have a pretty good pulse of what goes on in conferences, and there's not a lot of talks on object-oriented programming. In fact, that's a pretty good way of seeing to it. The committee doesn't approve your talk, as to say. Uh, you know, um, in fact, there's one particular talk for one particular speaker. I'm not going to mention any names, but but he's actually doing something kind of innovative on this, And uh, but it's object-oriented programming, and he can't get it through a committee, and I keep trying to help him. How can we do this, right? Um, uh, but, my, but, my, but the problem with that is that I mean, I know conference talks are about 10 years ahead of where training happens to be because they do training. Klaus is not in his head. I think he probably is about the same situation, right? But even even where training is, is probably, I don't know, 10 years ahead of where code bases are, which means that most people who are doing C++ professionally are maintaining at least one code base that has an object-oriented framework in it. Maybe it's mostly an object-oriented framework, or maybe it's just part of what we do. But object-oriented programming has some gotchas. You know, C++ is not easy no matter what you're trying to do. And I don't mean it, I don't mean it to be derogatory, but I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a language designed for professionals and you need to be professionally trained and you need to have experience and you need to have good practices. And if we in the conference world are talking only about static things and only about the latest features, then we're missing out addressing issues for the bulk of C++ programmers. And the, the, the problem is that that's not really a problem if people are the age of 
<clears throat> some of us on this podcast, because we we learned this stuff a long time ago. And in some cases, when people use the old thing, you know, he's forgotten more than you'll ever know. In my case, I've forgotten a lot. So, um, uh, the, the, but, the weird thing, the weird thing is that we, uh, you, at least some of us sitting here probably, uh, started programming before solid was known as solid. Yeah, right? that's true. But that's why that's... when I started hearing about it, I'm like, what is this? And then I'm like, then, you know, you look into it. I'm like, oh, right. I was already programming before the term came out. And that's right, why right, I right. didn't hear about it. Because I felt right. like all these people came from somewhere that, oh, I've heard this. I've learned this. And I'm like, where have I been? It's like, oh, right. it didn't exist. So my concern and, and what made it, what motivated me to give my talk was that I, basic base, best practices for object-oriented programming was not being discussed at conferences. It's still in the books, but by the books, I'm talking about uh, obviously Scott Meyer's books, but also Herb's books and other people's books that were written for classic C++. So nobody's recommending them now. I even hesitate to recommend them, even though 90% of what they say is still key. The problem is you don't know which 10% if you're not knowledgeable. I mean, you and I could look at that and understand, well, this isn't true anymore because we did this in 14. But most people who are learning it for the first time aren't going to realize, no, Scott's advice, which is usually 100%, is not really correct here because we changed something in the language or language. I always, I, I always tell people that, that Scott Myers is a, is a graduation process, right? When you get to the point where you go, wait, Scott wasn't right about this, right? Because, because in this one situation, you know, it wasn't the best advice. So, okay, you've graduated. But, yeah. like, it, it is solid in a different sense it is solid advice you know yes like you said 90 yeah. percent of it is if, right. if, you, if you're not sure about what you're doing then just follow what, what what scott says and then once you learn all this stuff you'll you will find the places where where oh okay i, I now i understand everything i understand why this doesn't work in, the, in in this situation so what i've been wanting to do is champion object-oriented programming best practices and again and i say this in my talk because my wife did ask me this. She said, John, did you really want to become the object-oriented programming expert? It's like, uh, I'm not sure I want that. Uh, because uh, because I'm, not, I'm not an advocate of object-oriented programming in the sense that if you're starting from scratch right now, maybe value semantics, compile time things, this is the way to do things, not to do runtime dispatch. Um, so I'm all on board with that. But my point is, we, we don't throw away all our code every year and start from scratch. If we did, we probably wouldn't be using C++. The, the point is that we maintain old code. And in order to maintain it and, and expand on it and to add new features to our, our, our code bases, we need to understand object-oriented programming and best practices of it. So that's why I've been talking about these issues. And I'm not cutting any new stuff. I'm I'm showing you the classic stuff, at least in my talk. It was all about, you know, I constantly made references to, you know, if you want to know more about this, here's Scott's book and, and here's Andre and Herb's book or something like that, which which dealt more um in more depth on these issues. So but I but I don't want to forgotten. Um and I think that's um I think that's like I say, it's overlooked and we need to do more about it. That's part of the reason actually why I did the back to basics track at CppCon was to try to, to recognize that although conferences are doing what they should do and not being critical of conferences, when we show the latest stuff and the cool way you can do it and all that gee whizzy stuff, but we also aren't doing our job if that's all we show. We also have to be a place where people who are still going that graduation that Tony's talking about, you know, becoming the the Scott Meyer um Scott Meyer educated, then uh, we got we got to help him with that stuff too. 
I gave my solid talk to prove two things. So first of all, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about solid. This is something I wanted to clean up, or at least give it a try. But the second thing is actually that I do not believe that it's just object-oriented programming. I believe you can use these principles just as well for functional and generic programming. And I gave a couple of examples. It actually works out pretty well. Basically, it has exactly the same meaning. So I would consider them as design principles, not as object-oriented principles. That, that's, that's, I mean, to give, to give it away, that, that's my, my talk is, uh, the reason I decided to do a talk was because I don't like solid. I just like all the individual, I, I just like all the individual letters, right? <laughs> like you look at every letter and I'm like, okay, that makes complete sense. Yep. Yep. Liskov, who, who's, who's going to argue against Liskov, you know, like, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, but how come it always comes out a certain way? It always comes out with, with too much uh derived derived uh, interfaces and too much and and they make sense where they make sense but but there's it just it becomes it becomes the only tool in the in the in the whatever uh and and it gets over applied right so yeah it's where how do you balance um the the value oriented and, and the object oriented because i i have i have a, you know don't tell sean parent but i have objects in my in my code base um yeah i know um, in, in particular, like in my code base, I have cameras and projectors. That's, that's what I do, right? We, we do stuff with projectors. Um, so a projector really is an object that you can't just make a copy. I wish I could just, by using the copy constructor, make another projector, but you know, they're, they're made of the hardware. They take a lot more effort than, than a copy constructor. So a projector is an object and so is a camera. And certain things are objects, but buttons are objects. You don't, you don't want to copy a button when you pass it into a function. Um, and then other things, no, right? And and you, I mean, what I find is in a if you're working with an existing code base, is you work your way from the bottom and find find your types that are fundamental vocabulary types in your code base, right? Um, like no one uses vectors as objects. Vectors are are values. And I have um, what do I have? I, I've got you know. Camera intrinsics, which tell me the the um, the focal length and all these you know it's like a dozen parameters about a camera. Um, that's a value, right? It's like I, you can make copies of that and you pass that around as a value. It is not an object that you you want to pass as by reference. And, and I, I, I want to point out your references you're, to. You're driving me crazy with your term object. I understand what you mean by object. You mean something that's in an object oriented hierarchy. But yeah. to me, I always think of object as essentially it's just a value. It's just a thing that encapsulates a value. So I understand what you're saying, but it's but it's an impedance as I listen to what you're saying. You're, you're saying as opposed to as opposed to a value type, an object type that's that's that has a um, a virtual reference semantics, an, an interface and a virtual override situation somewhere. Okay. Yeah. Well, and even and it's not even that. It's, you know, Sean always does better than the rest of us. Um, Sean talks about value semantics and reference semantics. So if you take an integer and you make it a global variable, it's become an object. It has reference semantics because the whole world can see it, everyone can access it, and it's like this integer right here, right? It's not a value that's being passed around. It's like, nope, it's this integer. Where's my, where's my finger? Right? It's, you know? <laughs> it's right here on the wall here. I've got this integer. Your finger is not an object. Yeah, yeah. And and it becomes it becomes everyone references it. It becomes reference semantics, right? So so anything can be an object or a value. But when you write a class, you tend to, you know, have a have a thing in mind of 
this this class is going to work object-ish and be be to me an, an object means it has identity right it's, it's so this it's the the projector not uh, you know a value this values don't have well philosophically there is only one number 17 it's the number 17 mm -hmm. but ignore that for now uh, yeah you know the, the so, number 17 just passes through your code not as a not as a reference thing so, so i will say that although as i said earlier I, I, i'm not advocating object oriented programming i think that the modern techniques of doing things with value semantics and doing things at compile time these, these are wonderful and huge things but i will say this i'm much less experienced doing this i i am because of where i came from i'm an object oriented programming programmer and in my head i can code up an object oriented idea a design you give me any problem and by the time my fingers hit the keyboard i already know how i would do this in an object oriented way and i have to sit back and think okay now wait a minute maybe there's a better way of doing this with compile time rather than uh runtime dispatch and i think about the designs differently and that's actually you know i had this conversation with Sean about this. And I said, how could you write something like Photoshop, which is this, you know, huge object-oriented application? And, um, you know, nobody's going to rewrite that overnight. That's just not going to happen. But how could you have, if you had started from scratch, how could you write that in a, uh, um, a value semantic way and not use, uh, and not use object-oriented programming? And what he told me I, I haven't seen it in practice, but I think I have the germ of what he was trying to get to. But he was basically saying, you know, we've done some of this. And what he uses is is essentially type erasure. So that what happens is you have, instead of having a camera, which is what you're talking about, you just have something that's a recordable or, a, a, you know, I don't know what you would, how you would abstract what a, what a generic camera is. But the idea is that you actually are using object-oriented programming as an implementation device. In other words, inside of this, inside of this thing that is a, um, is a recordable value. So it's actually a value type. It's a recordable, but inside that there is an object oriented, uh, implementation so that your recordable, which you treat as a value, you can put it in a, a vector, you can do whatever, but what it has inside it is, is something that could be, um, well, could be derived from. The thing is, then, what you get then, it, it, of course, it always comes down to naming. You no longer have a camera. You have a camera reference, right? Because if you, if you do make a copy of that, does it, you know, both, both camera references talk to the same camera, right? Um, in, in the case of a camera, like maybe it's different with a Photoshop document or something like that. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I, I'm in a weird world of half my objects are physical objects. If you're in the a world of pure code, like Microsoft Word, everything is 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 virtual objects, right? So yeah. yeah, you can make a copy of a slide, and and that has meaning, right? But I can't make a copy of the camera. Um, the weird part is that move semantics uh, solve some of those problems for us, right? Like when my camera object, I can make it more value-like if I just make it move only, and then I kind of get. Sign it, kind of a bit of the you know both worlds kind of thing. I don't want it to be a pointer. I want it to to um, to clean up after itself when 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 it goes away. Um, but I don't want two cameras unless unless I do want two pieces of my code talking to the same camera. Then I'll make I will rename it to be a 
camera accessor or something like that and and allow like a, I'll call it a shared camera accessor. You know, I'm starting to sound like Java programmer. I just add. No, no, I guess I see what you're talking about. Uh, I think what Sean was getting at was I don't think we discussed that case of where you're trying to model a real world object. Um, what what he was what he was trying to free us from was essentially the hierarchy. In other words, you know, your your object, this camera object, is no longer derived from this thing. And, you know, this is one of the things with early, and I know because I was there for a lot of the early object-oriented programming is we were going to make reusable code. We wouldn't have to keep recoding the same stuff again. We're going to create this reusable object. But it turns out that object's only reusable within the context of a particular framework. And so you couldn't do this work over here and then say, oh, we've started a new framework for a new application. Can we just move all the code over? And it's like, no, we can't. But in a value semantic world, yes, you could, because it just has to compile. We do it with templates and things like that. And I think that's what he was saying is, and the example that I, he has a great talk, uh, which by the way, I think was actually given by somebody else, but he credits that Sean wrote this talk, but he's not feeling well. And so I'm giving this talk. Anyway, the talk uh, talks about this thing called a printable and you can actually uh, put together these printables and you can have a printable that is a collection of printables and all these kinds of things. But of course, every time you, you treat it as a value and every time you copy it, take a snapshot of it, of course, it's not referencing a real-world thing. So I hadn't really considered what would happen if you actually have a camera and you literally can't copy it in the sense that, you know, if I copy this camera object, do I have two separate physical cameras? And clearly I don't. Yeah, by, by means of this type erasure, you indeed glue an external hierarchy to it. Now, this is like basically the trick. So inside this um, type erased object, there is a hierarchy. Right. Which, which you artificially add to it. This, by the way, a design pattern. It's called external polymorphism, which is not Jean's uh, um, invention. So this was, I believe, invented in 1996. Uh, so in the time when there was a lot of object-oriented uh, design patterns, this was just one of them. And I believe this was now rediscovered as something that truly works pretty well. And you create this type erase type, which mm -hmm. acts as a glue, and everything else is kind of duct typing. You can go back to, to boost any. Boost any yeah, is one of right. the first uh, type erase things, which, which is based on something from Kevin Henley. Kevin Henley. Kevin Henley, yeah. He wrote a paper in 2000 called um, Valued Conversions, I believe. This is the first time I saw any. Yeah, so in, yeah. in 2000 already. Yeah, I remember the first time I looked at any, and it's like, wait a minute, this is not a template? This is the the whole type. It's a, mm -hmm. The type is just, but 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 wait a minute. How can that? Yeah, it took me a while to wrap my head around that. Um, and I and I I um, I didn't realize the history that you were just telling me that this was uh, what did you call it? External polymorphism. That is the what design is, pattern that Kevlin uses in his any implementation. Right, so. and that's what Sean was using for his any printable. I mean, he obviously also, even yeah. used the same name, any printable. Yeah. Um, but um, and so. As I said, I've never seen an entire framework done that way, and I suspect it might fall apart to the extent that you're trying to model real-world things. I mean, th this is one of the reasons I think that object-oriented programming works so well for a GUI, is that you're modeling. They're not actually real-world things. You know, you have a button on a screen, but it does have the physical properties that that's what it's emulating. And, you know, if you copied that value, do you now have two buttons at exactly the same location with the exact, you know, what does that mean, right? Um, but uh, but I think that's why, 
the the glory days of object oriented programming were also the glory days of new GUIs. The the important part here is that you're telling me that I could ask Sean for slides and I could just do his talk. That's what I heard. That's what I heard in the story. That's exactly what I said. That's exactly what I said. My plan so far has been to get Phil's slides and and Klaus's slides for for their solid talks because that would save me a lot of problems. You can have a copy of the slides for reference to them. Yeah. (laughs) So um, you talked about names a little bit, Tony. I'm curious what you think about the solid names. You said you like every one of these names or every one of the letters. Yeah. Um, But don't you feel that the names of these solid principles are misleading? Well... Uh, I have to think about that, but yeah, you know, I always get the last two mixed up, right? The the I and the D. Well, even Bob Martin got the last two mixed up because they, they always get, you know. And and I'll I'll tell you now that my my talk's going to end up same with. Speaking of Kevin 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 Henny, he did a he did a solo talk as well, mm-hmm. um, and I, I noticed that mine's going to end up the same way. You spend half your time on on S, and then you mm-hmm. do the, then you do the other one, right? <laughs> and and single responsibility is is a great idea, but it basically is, it comes down to, you know, write your code well. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Like, but like I have a class in my code base called model and it has one responsibility and that is to hold everything. It's, it's, oh, it's, it's only just one thing. It does everything, you know? That's exactly what I have in mind. So single responsibility, that the name basically means something else, there's something different to everybody. Yeah, so yeah. this is not really name a name that you can grasp. It's very vague. What is a single responsibility? But but so. I see it so much because I write this class that does is just perfect, and then I realize oh I should add this other thing, and oh for this case I want to have this, and then I mean I see it when it fails. I see it very clearly when it fails. Yeah. It's 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 you know there's the famous uh, justice uh, whatever quote of I I know it when I see it. I know when you I, I know when you've broken single responsibility. I can't tell you what it is, but I can tell you when when you've broken it. Right. I can tell you what obscenities are of, of single responsibility. <laughs> the, the single responsibility principle was actually derived from the the work of uh, Tom DeMarco in the seventies, uh, and he called it cohesion, which I think is a much better name that much more useful as well. You can actually do something with that once you understand what that means, which is a, yeah, I, I agree. Basically, the, the things that do, should go together do go together. Yeah, but. But but Khalid Khalid doesn't make any sense. Khalid like what? What what is Khalid? I know what solid is. I don't know what Khalid is. But <laughs> perhaps in your in your talk, if it's truly a keynote, you can try to push people towards other names. Now perhaps this is all it takes. Yeah. Because else there is. People like Kevin Henney who um, destruct the solid principles, and I believe mainly this is about the, the misconceptions about the bad names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The naming is a big part of it. I've got too much to do in my talk. I have to describe <laughs> oh, describe what they are, then describe you know. Well, I mean, half my talk is going to be this whole question of what are they when you're talking about values versus like mm-hmm. you know they they do tend towards object-oriented, and if I want value-oriented, what do they, they still mean? And I think they still do mean something. Um, but yeah, I, I keep looking at it. It's like, how am I going to fit this all in? That's that's the stage I'm at, right? Like, you're, you're at the stage at the beginning of like, I don't have enough to talk about, then you have too much to talk about, and then... 
and then and then time runs out. It's a, a two-hour talk. You do not have a strong feeling against any one of them. Yeah, because Kevin, um, um, yeah. for instance, had very strong feelings against, I believe, almost three of them, perhaps even four. So he was just yeah. promoting the S and he was kind of discarding all the others. What's your take? The, 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 you know, they are, it, there is only S and the, the rest are ways to get S, right? It's, I mean, it's not even S isn't, isn't, in my head, isn't single responsibility. It's separate. I, I, I do have another acronym. It's KYSS, which is keep your stuff separate. Like that, that is all that, that is what programming is all about, right? Whatever it takes to keep your stuff separate. And, and, um, these, these pieces help you like Liskov or something like that. But just make sure you did it right. But, um, you know, open closed, I guess, is an attempt to keep your stuff separate. Um, open closed goes against, um, vocabulary types. I think it's the one that goes against vocabulary types, right? Like, and, and all these things push you towards make an interface here so you don't depend on anything. And, and that's a way of keeping your stuff separate, right? But eventually you realize that you have fundamental types in your code base. Like no one says, don't use strings, use a string interface, right? It's like, no, no, you just pass strings around. I mean, actually what we did was we made string view, which is a string interface, but it's still, you know, not an interface. And that does depend on the language. There are some languages yeah. where you do just deal with a string interface, and there are different implementations that are very effective at being more optimized for certain cases. Yeah. And you never actually get to see right. that. The other, the other example is if, if I want to do um, uh, an address, you know, so I, I, I've got employee record and it has an address and blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, well, let's make an address interface. So I, I need, I need get the street you live on, get the city, country, get, 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 you know, it's got, seven parameters in, in the get address interface. And then the employee record will have a get address and it implements the get address interface. Great, so now you pass an address interface. It could be from an employee or it could be from anywhere. And my function works because it takes a, a get address interface or an address interface. Okay, how about the get address interface? Isn't seven functions that return individual um, base types? Instead, the get address interface is, it returns an address. An address is just a struct with seven values in it, right? So it's these small structs that, that to me is the key to everything, right? So the function that needed the address interface because it wanted these seven values, it doesn't take an address interface. There's no interface. It takes an address as a value. I don't care where it came from. It's, it's still separated your code, but I didn't, yeah, and and the problem with it is I now have a dependency on the address data type, which is Instead your vocabulary type. Yeah, right. And I mean, I mean as, it's, it's yeah, okay as, if it's a vocabulary type. Right. As a, as a practical matter, um, if you have something that is heavyweight, then making an abstraction on it, like maybe your camera situation. Instead of yeah. having a camera, you have some, you know camera holder or camera reference or something like that. But the problem is if you decide that, well, every numeric value in my, in my application, instead of having an int or a double, I'm going to have some numeric value reference that could, um, you know, in, in Python, my understanding, I don't know anything about the internals of Python, but uh, if you have an integer and it overflows, they automatically flip into kind of a big imp implementation underneath the covers that you don't even see it just happens magically and there's a 
there's a cost you'd have to pay for that that a C++ programmer would never accept. But uh, but it, it's it's a beautiful logical abstraction that a, a number is just an interface, right? When and we wouldn't accept that for 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 voc- for vocabulary types for those low level used everywhere, going to have lots of them in my app kind of app. I still would argue that OCP is not necessarily about creating abstract interfaces. It's not an object-oriented programming thing. So um, just to give a couple of different examples. So Phil, for instance, in his catch library, wants to enable me as a mere user to do some extensions. Well, he has a couple of choices. He can actually create an abstract interface that I derive from. Great. I have something to do without having to change his library. But he can also just provide a couple of say, free functions that I can overload for my types. For instance, to serialize some stuff. Perfect. And the free function suddenly is giving me opportunity to extend it. That's what OCP wants. So right. no abstract interface here, but just a free yeah. function. It, it's and he can now, also it's now write compile a function. Time, right? It's now compile time instead of runtime. Correct. Yeah, suddenly um, um, totally different, but I think it fulfills the principle. They could also, for instance, write a function that takes a std function. This is also something that where I can plug in my stuff. I don't have to inherit from anything. There is no interface, but still he has given me some way to extend the code without having to yeah, change catch to itself. I think this is OCP. It's not necessarily about inheritance. There's yeah. a lot of ways you can do that. And I think that the advice... And that by OCP, OCP is, you're talking about open-closed principle. I'm sorry. I should, uh, correct. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Mayo did actually... He talked about OCP for, uh, for even for functions. So supporting what you're saying about it, not just being for class hierarchies. Yeah. So I would really argue there is more to OCP than just base classes. It's also, I believe, more than just keep your stuff separate. Yeah, This is advising Phil to write his library such that I can extend it in meaningful ways without having to touch his code. That's multiple ways. At least this is I how and I how I interpret it. Yeah, but and, and that but it, that is done so that you keep the code separate, right? Yeah, well, Phil's stuff and my stuff should be separate, right? This is not yeah. just my. Yeah. my so that, that, I mean, that that is the goal. I mean, and, and mm. the the goal is to keep your code separate. And the underlying goal, um, which is if you go read the original solid things, um, the, the goal is all about change, right? Like. Correct. Which part of your code is going uh, to change? So it's not about change. It's about extension. Change is SRP indeed. I would argue OCP is about extension. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just mean solid in general is about change. Okay. It's about man- that, managing change. Right? It's, it's, well, OCP is you don't want to have to change Phil's code. If you wrote it differently, you'd be like, oh, I have to change Phil's code to get my code in there. It's like, Correct. oh, you shouldn't have to. To make the change you want to make, which is add whatever feature you're trying to add, you shouldn't have to, you should only have to change a small amount of code, right? It's like, if I have to go and change everything, I'm not going to do this. Right? And, right. and that's every, every piece of solid means back on, um, I don't want to have to change more code than I have to change, right? Like minimize, minimize the change of the code. Um, my other example there is, um, and I think you use similar examples in your stuff, um, like a circle. You, you always see the circle, shape, draw, you know, all that kind of stuff. and so I, no. I, I apologize for that, by the way. People criticize me for you always using shapes, rectangles, etc. But I had 60 minutes to squeeze in five solid principles. 60 <laughs> minutes only. I believe a simple example is actually a clever choice. Yeah, yeah. And 
if you look at a circle and you look at draw and all these things and you go, okay, what's going to change the mathematical definition of what a circle is or how I draw it, right? Like, you know, I draw it using OpenGL and then I switch to DirectX and then I sit, switch to CUDA and then I switch to whatever, right? So having a circle class that knows how to draw is a bad idea. A circle class has a radius. That's all it has. It doesn't even have an XY because the XY location is uh, extrinsic property of a circle. It's not intrinsic to the circle. It's, it's a relationship the circle has with, you know, the layout or whatever else. Um, so you can write a circle class that will never, ever change because, I mean, partially because it's an easy one. It's easy to know that circle is not going to change, right? Uh, except for you decide that your radius should be a double instead of an int or something like that. But, um, you know, it's easy to get that right. The problem is in, in other code that's not, you know, based on math or something, you're guessing as to which part is going to change and which part isn't going to change, right? I've, I've found in our code, every interface we have, um, you know, the interfaces aren't, aren't uh, closed because, well, we just got a new projector and this new projector does this new feature. Well, I need to add that to the, to the, to the interface of projector because I need to turn on 3D color something, something, right? Well, like how, like, you know, and what I end up doing, instead of changing that in, in one place, I change it twice. I change it in the interface and I change it in the implementation because I've got this interface separation. Um, it's still the right thing because I have eight different projector implementations because, you know, eight different types of projectors. Um, and maybe I only need to implement it in one, not all eight. So it, it's still correct. But you get these cases where it's like, I find myself changing the interface more than anything. And, and you've either guessed wrong at what, you know, you're, you're always planting your, all your design is based on what do I think is needs to be more malleable and what doesn't. And sometimes the answer is you can find things, you can find things at the bottom level, like circle, where you're like, ah, this, this is solid in the not capital letters sense, but it's like, this is unchanging, right? This, a circle is a circle and it's always going to be that. And and like an address or something like that. It's like, okay, maybe addresses subtly change, but you know, you can find these things that are 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 the basics of your program. You say this is not going to change. And then at the top level, if you do it right, you can also find things um, like the program we I, I work on uh, aligns projectors, right? You put projectors onto the wall and you align them so that they look like one projector. Um, and if you say that's the fundamental design and you write all your code based on we align projectors, you end up with one set of code. If you decide that, no, our, our very general purpose is to put pixels in the right place, then you will realize that, okay, this is a problem that's not going to change as much over time. So you can, you can find the right abstractions. It's not even abstraction. It's just like define your problem space correctly such that I've 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 tackled a very much more generic problem of put pixels in the right place. And now my design will not change because I've 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 taken on a way bigger uh scope than I'm actually going to do. So I'm not going to do that full scope, but all my designs will make sure that it can grow into that because I thought from the beginning of like you know and and it, it kind of goes against it, it, it there's a there's a conflict with 
um, just write something and see what people want, right? Like just get the first version out there and realize that it's going to be wrong and people are going to tell you what they want. Um, but at some point you have to, you have to also have a big picture in mind of, yeah, I, you know, my general idea is I'm solving this very, very generic world of problems. And I will go in any direction the users tell me inside this world. And if, I'll, if I get that right, then the, the, the big level design doesn't have to change. And if I get the small pieces right, the small vocabulary types hardly change because they're easy to, to, to find. And it's just the middle stuff that gets to be messy. And that always happens. It, it, it absolutely does. But I feel like when you discover something changes often, this is again the opportunity to do some SRP. Yeah, so to draw it out, separate it somehow, because apparently this is something that is malleable, as you said. Yeah, and perhaps this is then the indication. And then again, the principle helps. Yeah, and, and there, there, is a, there is a fundamental difference um, between when Solid was first being, being coming into being. Um, it was harder to change code, right? The compile times and, and, you know, just... You know, I don't even want to change this header file because it's going to, and not that we we haven't solved the compile time problems yet, but um, but I think people now have this idea. Modules will solve everything. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, we we've we we're now in the state people realize none of the no code is is unchangeable. Just just change whatever needs to be changed, right? So so you also your your cost function of like, well, where's where is it going to be painful to change this or change that? It's like, huh. If you if you refactor enough, no, nothing is, you know, you just just change whatever you need to change, and and yeah. that's why software is called software. Yeah, yeah soft <laughs> from you can't change it. This this is the expectation. Well, except except that you know there's there's constraints on that. If if this is a there's, library you're shipping and, or a framework you're shipping, and you've got mm -hmm. lots and lots of customers, and you realize, oh, you know what, this this should work this way instead. It's just going to break all our customers' custom-built derived classes. Um, no, there are, are costs to changing some stuff, and that's why that's thinking about in advance, what do we want to, you know, what are our customization points, and what are the ones we want to support? And I think, you know, one of the things that the standard library kind of ran into is that there were customization points that were not designed to be cut they were just incidental it's like well if you if you change you know you you create an, an um a specialization of this type then this algorithm will work differently and that wasn't really the design of the algorithm that wasn't the intent but but you've done that and i think that thinking these things in advance and being explicit and saying you know these are the customization points and these are the kinds of things we can change I know from my experience where I've done a brilliant job of designing classes so that things can be customized in certain ways that I almost always manage to completely overlook what's going to need to be customized. In other words, I, I remember having designed this thing and it was very clever about how this could be customized. And in the entire lifetime of that hierarchy, I don't think that was ever changed. On the other hand, all sorts of things that I had baked in, those things were the things people said, well, could we actually change this? And it's like, oh, okay. So I really think that that the brilliance is someone who has done, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, Alex said about 
about um, generic algorithms is that you don't create them, you, you discover them. In other words, what he's saying is you, you survey and see what else is done. And I think that's kind of what you have to do with object-oriented or any kind of mm-hmm. you know, application level like this. You look at what everybody else has done, and, and then you know what has to be changed because you've seen it changed in all these other situations. And someone who thinks, oh, I'm going to write this down, and nobody's ever written an application that does this before, but I'm going to accurately predict all the customization I'm going to need or the kinds of customization, and I'll build those in. I just don't think, I mean, it's, we, we're arrogant enough to think we can do that, but I think we should be humble enough to recognize we can't do that. Agreed. Yeah. The, the, um, when I was working on Adobe Premiere, um, Adobe Premiere has media files, right? You've got your, your audio, your video, you know, and media files have uh, a duration and frame rates and all these things. Right. And it's like, yep, that's, that's what media has. Right. And then I was working on, on titling and things like that. And they're like, okay, what's the frame rate? I'm like, whatever you want. Titles don't have frame rates. You, you, even like a ro- rolling credits, how, how fast do you want them to be? I can, I can do that thousand frames per second if you want. I just run, you know, it's virtual. I can yeah. render yeah. At, any, at any stage. And then it's like, what's the duration? Like every, all these questions are like, no, these are not, you, you know, you, you fundamentally are missing the abstraction. But then if you go, uh, David Sanko gave a talk years ago at... C++ now, uh, or might have been BoostCon, it was that long ago, uh, about Agda, which is a crazy, good, cool language, Agda. And he asked, you know, what is, the, what is really the definition of a, of a movie? Like, what is, what is a media over time? And it's like, it's a function that takes a time point and returns a value, right? It might return pixels, it might return audio things, it might return whatever. It's a function that takes a point in time and returns data back. And it's like, yes, okay, that is the correct abstraction for what media is. And well, let's not talk about what Premiere had inside its code base, but <laughs> you know, are you got, suggesting we, it wasn't that? It, it, it was getting there, you know. But uh yeah, and it's is I don't know. Is it that hard to see that that's the right abstraction? I think once you see yes, no, that's my point. I'm going to say I'm going to say yes. It's that hard to see yeah. until you've seen three or four people, three or four different. I don't say people, three or four different yeah. implementations of that, and then someone comes along and says, "Ah, I've got it now. I know what changes and what doesn't change, and I can design the ultimate." And I don't want to say framework, but but logical hierarchy or logical structure in which you know we've we've defined the media in the correct way. Because as you said, you know, the initial attempts are going to be, well, what is media? Well, I have this format and it has, you know, frames per second and it has, you know. Um, you, want the sad part? you want the sad part? This was Premiere version 7. There's already done <laughs> 6. It, and, and Premiere 7.0, which became Premiere Pro 1.0, it was a rewrite. This, this is a great story. Um, essentially, uh, when, I, when I started at Adobe, um, I was doing the magic trick. I was doing the magician's other hand, right? Where it's like, hey, look at this cool new feature, a new titler, blah, 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 in, in Premiere 6.5. Meanwhile, the rest of the team was rewriting Premiere from scratch. And, and we needed time. It took like three years to rewrite Premiere. And so we needed a release in between. So I, I came on, my, my first job was to write the last version of the old Premiere. Um, and me and a team of guys. Um, and and when they, because the old Premiere code was uh, unmaintainable, it really was. And they went to upper management and said, we need to, we can't, 
we can't go on. We need to rewrite this. And management said, okay, um, we've, we've, there's been a number of products at Adobe that, that have tried to do a rewrite and they've all failed. So you have three years and when you fail, you're all fired. And, and, and it wasn't an if it was, it was like, you guys are going to fail and, and, uh, you will probably be all fired. So go ahead. But, and, and, and you'll have to have a dot release in between so that, you know, we're still making money at the, at the year and a half point. But, uh, if you can't get it done in three years, you're, you're, you're done. And I mean, we did, we, we shipped, we shipped Premiere Pro 1.0. It was a rewrite. Um, so some of it, I thought like that was our opportunity to get a little more better abstractions, but you know, on the other hand, maybe if we had spent more time scratching our heads about abstractions, we wouldn't have got it done. So we, we got something much better than what we had. So, and in long since improved since then too. Okay, then talking about abstractions, let's hit on a, a, on a solid principle again. Let's pick the D, the dependency inversion. Um, what's your take on that? Because this is, I believe, the one that is most complicated, most complex for everyone. So for me, this is not about separating concerns. This is really about who owns an abstraction. Who is the one who is in control and who can change this abstraction? And if you put that right, you actually might have, um, indeed, much, much, a much better life when you change things. Yeah, I, I, I think that's where I probably should have talked about that when I was talking about uh, vocabulary types. I, I find that we try to depend on, like, that. you know, the thing says depend on abstractions instead of concrete. Mm -hmm. And, like, right. you know, pick, pick your concretes. There's a lot of concretes that I don't mind depending on as mm -hmm. long as they're, as they're very concrete, right? Like, a, an address, an address, uh, uh, and, yeah. and I, that's all I find in my code base is, is um, even even in the UI. I did a talk last year on um, uh, value oriented, and it's kind of like what John was talking about: value oriented programming in an object oriented world, right? And mm -hmm. and um, uh, Juan Pei Boulevard Boulevard uh, did a, almost the same talk, same title, right? So once again, just like. Is solid. <laughs> Phil, Phil and I have the same titles. Um, yep. We had the Sorry same title that. and the same point of like, you're living in a world of all the current code is object oriented, and I want to write some value oriented. And I was tackling most of my talk was tackling the UI portion, right? And you end up with a lot of code that's like, oh, the, you know, the value of this button or the value of this this integer in the UI. You know, I've got uh, left, right, top, bottom of like. The coordinates of my projector um and that's four values so you see a lot of the code that sets one value to the to the um ui widget and then sets the other value to the ui and it's working at the at the lowest value level of of integers or floating point whatever that thing is and you know four ints but it does one int at a time i'm like okay make a struct that's called uh projector extents and it has left right top bottom or whatever it's you know and just work at that that's just a tiny bit higher than working at the four at each in each integer individually and and uh the projector extents don't need to be an interface they don't need to be an object oriented hierarchy or anything it's just it's just the, these four values go together and now your your ui and and I'm, and the point is i'm okay with the whole world depending on that header file because that header file has has no other dependencies. It's just 
it's just the struct with four values and maybe it's a you know depending on whether it has invariance or not maybe it's a class with private variables or maybe it is just a struct with with uh, public variables because there's no there's no uh, invariance um and and uh i just find that suddenly your code works all your ui interactions you pass that you pass these four values in together and and maybe you can go up one level higher of like projector info is a struct that has the projector's extent and the projector's position and a few other things but it's still it's still a simple class so i don't mind depending on it but then at some point you'll get to another level of yes this you know i don't want to depend on um projector has to be an interface because i have multiple implementations but i've got a lot of interfaces in my code that have two implementations one is in the code and the other is in is in the test program which is cool that i can test these things but it's like I, every time i make a change to the interface i make it in three spots the implementation the interface and the test program and i'm like this shouldn't have been there was no point to this interface it should have just been a dependency straight up i depend on this other thing because either i depend on the interface or i depend on the implementation it's I, I want to depend on the in, interface when there's 10 implementations, not when there's only one. Mm -hmm. you, you didn't really gain anything, right? And if you change the interface, but, of course. Yeah. But the so. challenge, of course, there is that if if you're if form. you're well, if you're you, if you're creating the application, um, I I took a um, I took a class, and so I won't go the whole thing, but but one of the things that the instructor was doing was really really violating this open close principle and doing it really fundamentally. And it's like, why does the why is this working for him when you know? And I realized what he was doing is he was he was doing a certain kind of modeling, where he was writing the library, but he was also in charge of the application, and he could come along at any point and say, because one of the things he was talking about is make the assumption it's always this way, and if it isn't, we can change it. And ninety eight percent of the time it was that way, and then the one time he could change it. But if you're actually making a library and you're saying, well. I'm going to ship this library. Is there any user that's going to want to customize this? And if there is, then it has to be an interface. And that is a that that's a thing. Um, in the you know, if you're actually going to say, well, open closed, you have to really be committed to open closed if you're shipping your framework and you're going to have thousands of users and and they're going to do it. On the other hand, if you're doing this yourself. And it's for, you know, it's purpose built for you or even just your company. Maybe you have three users, but they're three products within the same company. And you can always go to that team and say, look, this is the plan. We're going to make this change. Be ready for that because, you know, as of this point release, this is the world you're going to live in and be prepared. And you can violate the open closed if you're in that situation. So, and the cost of being generic on every, you know, oh, everything I do is customizable. Well, that's that's a really expensive way of do, of approaching the world. There's lots of complexity and even performance that you're going to hit when you start to do that. But if you can simply say, no, no, we'll just assume this is always true, and if it's ever changed, we'll change it then. Can I can I ask uh, Bill? Like, I, I haven't heard what Bill's talk was. I've I've seen Klaus's solid talk. I've seen uh, Kevin's uh, solid talk, but yours has the same name as mine. Maybe I, maybe <laughs> I need to change mine, but I think you stole it from me. Um, on the, the last time I was on here, I told you that was the name of my talk. Um, yep. 
But are you? And I heard that you, from Klaus. <laughs> yeah. Are you are you praising Caesar or or uh, burying him? That's that's. So uh, as it happens, that talk uh, was published today. So you haven't been able to see it before today. What so I should just watch it. I watched it back earlier just too to make sure I, I remember what I what I said in it. And surprisingly, I actually came out more in favour of the the solid principles than I previously had thought after I'd sort of really dug into it because. I, the, the, a big part of the premise of the talk was taking the criticisms that uh, Kevin Henney had put forward in his solid deconstruction, as well as Dan North in his uh, every element of solid is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and to really dug into it, look to the history of it, what things actually mean. And I'm still a bit critical of some aspects, most of which we've, we've covered, particularly the naming um, and also some of the, the like, internal redundancies between the things. Most of the principles are just about polymorphism and then there's the bit about separation of concerns or cohesion really so you can simplify that that way but most of the other criticisms uh, i i found that they, they didn't actually hold up once you examined them so now of course you're gonna have to go and watch my talk to find out what i mean by that but yeah i was actually a little bit more for them than i that i originally set out to uh, to show yeah. can i at least now think that i influenced you positively no, um, right. you uh, can you can believe that if you like. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, your, your talk was great as well because um, you, you're just going into the practical application, particularly in yeah. a in a C plus plus context. And you know, we, we can argue all we like about you know, abstractly are these really the right principles, but in everyday use, you want some practical examples of of how you you're going to use them. I, I I would like to make up another acronym. Like I've been I've been yes. oh, I did that too. Oh, you did you did okay. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I was going to say I put forward the plasma principles. Plasma. <laughs> okay, plasma is one letter more. Yeah, right. Six. Um, let's see if I can remember. Remember them off the top of my head. But um, the P is for persistence, as in persistent data structures. And really, it's more of a stand-in for immutability in general. But using persistent data structures is a big part of that. Um, the L is for uh, loose, as in loose coupling. So that's really the cohesion part. Uh, A, the first A was, I think the first one was, was algorithms, using algorithms instead of designing or, or writing everything from scratch yourself. In a reference, of course, to, to Sean Parent. And no, no role loops. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did we get to? A. S. Uh, so the S, what did I? Just stands for Sean Parent. <laughs> oh s for just simplicity and, and i did uh i did a whole talk on simplicity so i just referenced that for simplicity mm-hmm. um wait a second wait a second uh uh kate gregory did a talk on simplicity mm-hmm. do we yes. all just do, i did i did mine first each other's okay <laughs> a very different type of talk though uh, in fact my one was much closer to uh, rich hickey's uh, simple made easy which was a big influence uh, and heavy references in there so if you've seen that you know what sort of thing it's about and that ties back into actually what Dan Dan North was saying in his uh, criticism of uh, Solid. He was basically saying, well, it boils down to writing simple code. But because he'd said it in a lightning talk, he didn't really elaborate on that. But actually, if you look into what simplicity really means, it does make a lot more sense. So yes, was for simplicity. The M, I just went for memory safety. That was a bit of a weaker one and much more of an implementation level thing. But yeah, still it was worthwhile. And then the final A was um, abstractions. So we, we talked a lot about abstractions mm-hmm. uh, and how important they are. Um, often in 
discussing the solid principles when we talk about interfaces, but we've been doing it here tonight. Really, we're talking about abstractions. And that's like a, a more general concept. Uh, interfaces are a way of expressing an abstraction, not the only way. No. I think, yeah, I think that was it. Just a critical question. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. No, Critical question. So I know I didn't watch the talk, so I'm at a disadvantage, but the L and the A, the last A. Yeah. So um, loose coupling and abstraction. This sounds like design principles. But the first one, for instance, the P... It's not so much. So it's not about decoupling. It's not about dealing with abstractions of any kind. So what's the design aspect of that? And how can it replace design principles like solid? So it's more that by taking into account um, immutability or having an, an immutable mindset, not that your mindset's immutable, but have a mindset <laughs> of implementing immutable code. Yes, yeah, an implementation um, strategy but it impacts your design. You have to think about it at the design stage, I think. And also okay. frees up some of the things you have to take into account when you're designing things. If, if you think, well, I know that can never change and that can never change and therefore these things don't hold. In fact, uh, Tony was talking about mm -hmm. um, objects that don't need to be objects with an interface. They can just be a just a struct with some data members because once you've taken out the uh, mutability, you don't have to enforce or maintain invariance. Mm -hmm. You can just go with the raw data. You can basically take out the, the possibility of behavior actually changing anything. You don't have to guard that anymore. Uh, so just that um, preference for immutability changes the way you design things. So that, that's really why I, what I was going for there. Would you argue that all of these six are about dependency decoupling somehow? Yeah, they're, they're not all about dependency decoupling. Some of them are. Some of them aren't. Some of them are. I'd say the... So that the main, obviously, the loose coupling, but also the, the simplicity. Uh, my, my take of simplicity is it's all about how things interconnect. Or complexity mm -hmm. is the unnecessary overlapping of things that, uh, that, mm -hmm. that shouldn't be, really. So but once you achieve simplicity, then you have decoupled anything that, that shouldn't be coupled. So back to key. Speaking of, speaking of um, talks that overlap, um, when I did my postmodern talk at... Uh, C++ now. Um, Wampe Boulevard, again, um, did a talk on postmodern uh, immutable data structures, right? That, that exact idea of like, you can make everything in your program immutable. And, and it's also sort of how, you know, the, the trick to that is, is if you have a big data structure and something changes, you have, you have to make a copy of it. Well, underneath, you don't actually make a copy of it, right? You, you, track, you track the changes. That's exactly the same way uh, Sean does uh, Photoshop, right? Photoshop, the undo stack is make a copy of the document, which is hundreds of megabytes of pixels and, right. and put it on the stack, right? It's like, well, it doesn't actually make a copy un underneath the coverage, right? Um, really? It doesn't uh, duplicate all those pixels? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How clever. <laughs> um, the other thing I was thinking there is that, yeah, at work, we've been trying to make a, uh, an acronym and so far we have, I can't even remember all the letters, but ungood. And uh, U is ubiquitous, because everyone wants ubiquitous uh, objects. And N was nebulous. And G was global. O was um, uh, omnipotent, I think. Uh, you know, you want that class that can do everything. Mm. And I forget what the other two were. But uh, yeah, it was basically looking at one of our classes in our code base and going, yes, this class is ungood. This is the it's our model class that can that has access to everything, can do everything. You know, anything changes, it's going to go through model. Model is always 
changing. So I expect that Phil will shut us uh, down in, in just a couple of minutes. <laughs> so that's looking like that. So uh, yeah. let me ask you a question. Because what we are right now doing is indeed talking about design. And this is apparently a lot of fun. And, and there's a lot of discussion. There's a lot of different opinions. Why is there no, not many talks about design? Why, there is, why is there many talks about features, many talks about techniques, etc.? Why is there not many talks about design? Because I think I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot because it was an interesting yeah. question you'd raised earlier that you had. I think you had some numbers on it about you know the number of conference talks that are about design versus uh, yeah. features, and you know I. I give classes. That's what I give. And I don't talk a lot about design. And the reason is I'm not comfortable giving you an objective answer. You want to not talk about operator overloading? I can tell you this is how you do it. And, you know, those are design elements that have caused us to make these decisions. But this is best practice when you want to do operator overloading. It's coding. Mm -hmm. I can be objective about that. But when you get into design, um, there are certain there are certain design things like um, um um, one of Scott Meyer's design things was that your your classes should either be base classes or instantiated classes, and you shouldn't do both. And I I, I think that's a brilliant design rule, um, and I teach that. But you know, a, a, an overall principle like loose coupling or something like that, that's it's it's hard to know when you've got it right. It's hard to know how to apply it. It's hard to know, you know, oh, no, no, this is the time you want to do it, but this is the time. This is simple. We'll just make it a, a concrete, you know, vocabulary class, and we're just going to implement it straightforward, as simple as possible. Uh, you know, when do you do all those kinds of things? And that's, I think, part of it is it's less objective. There's a lot of subjectivity. Um, and for for people who can give good, entertaining talks and can be a little bit nuanced, and uh, that's that's a great talk. But I but I wonder. I mean, look at look at what we've been talking about so far. Uh, we've been making fun of the fact that Tony and and Phil both ended up having the same name in their talk. And we're talking about you know Tony was saying, well, let's just use Sean's slides and give that talk over again. You know, there's there's a lot of overlap in what we're trying to say, and a lot of times it's just a different point of view. So I think there's. You know, this is my problem with design in general. I love it. And if you can give me a good design principle that I can work with and I can apply in a very practical sense, I'm all over that. And I have some design guidelines I give people. But design as an overall, if you come to me with a problem, um, if you come to me with a specific problem and you say, well, I'm trying to call this from this and I want to encapsulate this, that's a coding issue. I can tell you how to do that. But if you just say, well, I'm trying to design something and I've got objects that are going to be like this or something like this, and I need to be able to do this. I don't know that I can give you the perfect answer. I can give you a workable one, but somebody else could come along and say, well, why don't you do it this way? And I might say, oh, now that I see it, that's the way. How did you get there? I think it's the difference between uh, maybe art and craft in the sense that um, mm -hmm. if I tell you, you know, you're a tailor, make me a shirt like this, and your craftsmanship is excellent. But but what if I say design a new kind of shirt that nobody's ever seen before? Well, that's that's not craftsmanship. That's art. And that's the difference, I think, between design and coding, that that I can pretty much give you a concrete, specific, this is the way to write this as code. But in the design world, I can, mm -hmm. I can you know, when I see it, I can say, oh, yeah, that's a brilliant design. But I can't give you the steps to come at that. And I can for code. You're, you're trying to do a solve a problem. I can give you the steps to do that in code. But 
But if it's a design issue, I can give you guidelines. Yeah. I can give you things to weigh back and forth. Yeah. What is the yeah, correct? There's there's one answer, right? To all C plus plus and programing questions, the answer is it depends. Okay. Yeah. And and especially in C plus, yeah, <laughs> especially in C plus plus, like some of the some other languages, there are the 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 designs that everyone uses, right? Like Java tends to have certain ways. It's like you just do it this way. It's so, okay. Mm -hmm. I'll use the visitor pattern. Everyone knows it. Everyone uses it. In C plus plus, it's always a, a trade off, and and some languages don't give you the power to have the trade off. Right. Right, 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 um, right. Yeah. And, but C plus plus does, and that's 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 the thing about C plus plus. And then it's like, okay, so how do I solve this problem? It's like, it depends. Did you want to like, you know, are you looking at performance? You're looking at maintaining the code? Are you looking at, uh, you know, memory? Which which part of performance? Which Simplicity. Part of, and, yeah, all these things, <laughs> and it's like, you, you know. But I I do try to give. That's what my talks. The other thing of how why don't people give these talks? I think because they're really hard. That's, that's, that's my answer. It's like, and, and the other part is honestly, when I give a talk, um, I expect to reach one person in the audience and that's about it. Right. I expect there's this one person. That's me. Yeah. And, and <laughs> it, it's actually, I am always trying to just connect to Phil. That is the one, he's the one person. Thanks, <laughs> Tommy. Um, and I keep trying and the guy just doesn't get it. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> Phil always gives him a five. Everybody else gives him one. <laughs> but, but um, I also have this theory that for for the most part, programmers uh, program the way they think, and and you're not really going to change the way they think very much. Like certain people are always going to write, you know, big functions because they like to see everything at once, and certain people are going to abstract because they like to think that way. But what happens is, uh, I give a talk, and there's one person in the audience who was just at that point in their code base where they had this thing and they weren't sure about something and they see one of my slides and they go, aha, that's, that's what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And they would have gotten it anyhow. They would have, they would have got there, right? They were, uh, and, and like some programmers, I think, don't look at their code. They don't self-reflect on the code. They just like, did it work? Did I get the job done? You know, can I move on to the next feature? And that's fine because you, you need that. You need people to actually ship the product. Um, but then you get this other set that self-reflect, and eventually they'll they'll probably catch on to to you know what what was wrong. Like, how did I end up in this spot? I didn't. I know the code I end up with is bad. How did I get here? And you do a talk, and they go, "Oh, wait, I see it." But a design talk, you only you only get that with like one person of the whole audience. You get a whole bunch of people in the audience who are like, "Oh yeah, that I, I've I've seen that before." Like I, half of my audience tends to be committee members, right? And they're just there for the jokes. They they have already seen all this stuff. They've got their own take on it. And I'm just trying to entertain them. But and then you get another half. I'm sure there's people in the audience who are just like, I don't know what you're talking about because I'm not at that. I, I like you're using words like dependency injection. I don't even know what that means. Or if I, I understand the words, but I, I haven't experienced it enough to get a real feel for how painful it is to get it wrong. Right. And you're not going to reach those people either. Whereas if you just do a talk on like I do talks on lock-free programming, which also, I hope not to reach anybody in the audience. <laughs> but, but it's very, it's very much technique. It is just like here's how uh, you know compare exchange works, and here's how you know these things work. Same mm -hmm. with like John saying, like, here's how operating overloading works. You know, yep. and I, honestly, I can't. I've I've had people ask me to do that kind of training, and I'm just like, I can't do that kind of training. I, I, I you know, I, it, I it's necessary and it's it's important stuff, 
And I, Klaus and I will take it. When someone yeah, asks it, you to it, do that, refer them to Klaus or I or Phil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll do that yeah. training. So I, I, I'm, I'm actually trying to figure out how to do, how do you do training at the design level, right? Like you can't just give oh, them yeah. Yeah, 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 little yeah. examples and things like that. Yeah. Phil knows. Yeah. It should all come to my TDD training course because it's all about design, <laughs> test-driven it design. Is. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I'm actually also trying to talk about design, but my, my approach is really to show the, the opposite sides. So I do show an object-oriented design. I show value-based design. I compare them live in terms of performance. Um, I'm, uh, I change the designs. I show how this works, how easy it is and not. So I, I do not try to show the solution. I yeah. usually show many solutions. And this is so, probably why so the, I the, often the, use... It depends. The it depends is, is there like, for you, right? You're like, it, it here they all are. Pick, pick the one that works. Yeah, I, I really right. like the so, talk. So yeah, we should we should build a a five day class. It's just called C plus plus. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> there's only one slide. It just says. But the, yeah, <laughs> uh, no, there's only one point, and then there's a thousand slides that are examples of why sometimes. You, <laughs> anyway, we we do have to wrap it up. I think uh, uh, we're a little over time here, but I oh, wow, this is a great group, and I wish we could. You know, let's let's come back once a month and solve all the world's problems. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, is there anything else show. we particularly need to say? Um, what do we want to say about C++ on C? Is it floating off on an iceberg? Um, uh, no, no, well, no change since we last spoke. The call for speakers okay. is still open for a couple of days and um, early bird tickets are open. All right. Cross our fingers if we can get this thing out before C++ Now, because you definitely want to go to C++ Now. You hear Tony's Tony's keynote. Uh, we're going to, I mean, the program is great this year. We're going to have a lot of the, the favorites coming back, like Tony, a lot of people, but we've also got some new people. The fact that it's online only means that there are people who can attend who um, would never have been able to. And the future of C++ Now is that we'll probably not be hybrid. In fact, I'm pretty sure it won't be hybrid. And so, this is, if you can't travel to Aspen, this is your one chance in your lifetime to go to C++ Now, which is a once-in-a-lifetime kind of conference. So you definitely want to do that. Um, so that's my spiel for that. And um, do you guys have anything you want to point, uh, plug, talk about, uh, Tony or Klaus? I was going to say exactly that. I was waiting. Like, I knew you were going to say C++ <laughs> Now, but I've been thinking about this for weeks. There, there's a lot of people I know are just like, oh, I can't make it to that conference. It's like, now you can. You can make yeah, it you to... Can. Everyone, everyone, I, I don't hide this. It is my favorite conference. I, I like all Mine the too. other ones. This is my Mine favorite too. conference. So yeah. now's your chance. And, and being online, it won't be exactly the same as why it's my favorite conference. Um, but I still think it's going to be great. So here's a chance to at least get a feel for what it is. And then you'll figure out how to actually be there in person next time. Oh, yeah. And then I want to bug John about like, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've dreamt of, Keynoting C++ now in Aspen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. well. Well, if you do a good job this time, Tony, we might have you back. We have had the same keynote speaker back, you know, more than once. It's historically you, I, been done. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 uh, I have a talk in the back of my mind for only for C++ now keynote, because I can't imagine it working anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> But someday, someday. C++ now is the kind of conference that I can understand somebody's making that comment. That, yeah. 
It's unique. So, um, so anyway, we do have to wind it up. I'm going to ask you guys to join me in wishing everyone safe coding. And if we follow the, the kinds of uh, guidelines that we've been talking about in this session, everyone will be coding safely, or, or at least uh, it, it's their responsibility. We've given them the tools, right? <laughs> I hope so, anyway. Yes. Uh, so, everyone, uh, thanks for watching and safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding. Safe designing. Thanks for joining our chat. If you enjoyed it, please do help spread the word by telling your friends and colleagues, and perhaps leave a review on iTunes or whatever podcast directory you're using. And remember, you can find all our previous episodes, show notes, and guest information, as well as how to subscribe on our website, cpp.chat.